0: Well, if you have your Bible along, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 9. Studies have shown that the average span, lifespan of a woman who puts on 30 pounds is much longer than the husband's that points it out to her. We're talking about pride this morning. There's a connection with that joke somewhere. Um, If I could have skipped this, I would have. It hits way too close to home. Um, And I think... um, I, I think pride's one of those things that's kind of nebulous to many of us. And we, we see pride only in the uh, kind of off-the-charts narcissists. So the people that are always bragging about themselves and so forth, they're prideful, and, and I certainly don't have a problem, problem with that. Um, <laughs> I told somebody earlier this morning I was working on it. This week I put together a list of my besetting sins what are the key sins that i'm vulnerable to you ever do have you ever done that that's kind of discouraging um but i i I looked at each one of those things and uh, tried to put a template of of pride over top of it over top of them because augustine argued that at, at the root of all sin is pride and you know, it, it's really true. You, you put that over as a template and you scratch deep enough underneath all sins and you're going to eventually get to pride. Um, I was watching a, a, a sermon by Francis Chan some time ago that he did on pride and, and he was telling his people, he's, I'm really frustrated to come and preach on pride because after all, who really thinks they're proud? He's like, who am I preparing this sermon for other than, uh, other than myself? So I, I want to pray for us uh, this morning, and then um, I'm going to give, to kind of get the ball rolling, I'm going to give you some examples of pride in my life that maybe will help um, jog your thinking about pride in your life. I'll give some other examples then as well. And uh, hopefully this will be beneficial uh, for your life, for the kingdom, um, and glorifying to Christ. Let me pray for us this first before we go on. Uh, Father, um, I uh, confess that I am a proud man and uh, hate it, and yet it's, it just um, plays into the hand, hands of the enemy so much. Um, pride was his downfall. Um, he brought that into the Garden of Eden and contaminated Eve. And then Adam, with that same pride, and um, <laughs> now that chestnut hasn't fallen real far from the tree in my case and I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be allowed free reign in every one of our lives this morning and he would not um, run into obstacles that we throw up to, to keep him from getting through uh, we pray against the enemy who so desperately wants us um, to continue in pride, especially the kind that we can't see. Um, It it harms our testimony. um, It fractures relationships. And uh, I, I pray against him this morning. You bind him, muzzle him, and that the word of God through the power of the spirit of God Um, would reach deep into our souls, um, both for your glory and for our good and for the good of the church and the good of the church's witness. In Jesus' name, amen. So here are some samples of pride in my life. I see it if somebody gets credit for something, for an idea that I came up with. Now, it's interesting. We ask this um, one application form for prospective elders, um, or at least ask that in an inter- interview. What happens if uh, somebody else gets credit for an idea you came up with? And that can really happen in church leadership pretty easily. There's a lot of church leaders that we work with and a lot of things that we wrestle with over a long period of time. And so by the time something gets implemented, you might forget who originated this uh, idea and so forth. Uh, but that's, a, that's an issue for me. Um, every time I preach, I wrestle with pride. The most frequently prayed prayer I pray before I come up these steps is, God, hide me. And the reason for that is because I don't want to be hidden. Um, I, I, I want you to go home saying... Man, that's the best sermon I heard since the Apostle Paul. I want you to quote me. I want you to tell your friends you have got to get online and listen to what Pastor Keith preached about. And so I'm just being honest with you. That's, it's a mess. He, Chan says in that message, you know, he he was talking about his own pride. And he goes, and he says most of you aren't bothered by that. He said now if I stood up here and said that. Um, guys, I'm really struggling with lust these days, and, and I'm checking a lot of you ladies out. He said, you'd be going, huh? What kind of perverted pastor do we have? He said, but pride we just kind of, yeah, not so much of a big deal. Here's a, here's a this is really horrific. Um, when I speculate what somebody might say at my funeral, anybody else ever do that in your mind? Don't put your hand up. Isn't that awful? I speculate about what somebody might say at my funeral. And I, I pray to God that my family has the wisdom not to have an open sharing time at my funeral. You know, I'm, I'm released from the bonds of sin here on planet Earth. I, I go to heaven and it's sin-free. Meanwhile, back on planet Earth, they're still pandering to my sinful nature. I don't want that. Uh, Pride surfaces when Betty insists I didn't tell her something that I'm sure I did. Um, How does pride surface? Well, I can't entertain the possibility that I might be that forgetful or that I might be wrong. It's all pride. When I check the number of reads or comments on my latest blog post, Anybody do, do that with your Instagram or your Facebook account? You look to see how many likes are on there, how many comments are on there, who's looked at you know what I'm saying? Stall pride. stall pride. And by the way, I still do it. Um, probably uh, 18 years ago or so, I discovered the worst problem I have, though, with pride, is self-pity. Self-pity. Um, And and here's the the underbelly of pride in that. When I'm pitying myself about how things are going in life or how somebody's treating me or what somebody said about me or didn't say about me or um, how I'm doing financially, here's what ultimately I'm saying. I deserve to be treated better by other people or by God than I'm being treated raw pride, right? I deserve to be treated better than I'm being treated, whether that's by someone or by God. And at the end of the day, it's if God is sovereign, it's ultimately He's the guy that I'm upset with. Self-pity. Now, I have plenty more examples, but I don't want to discourage you and think you need to find another church, so... Uh, I'll give you some some generic examples now. So you're in school, and you get the best grade on the chemistry exam of anybody in your class. Now, those are the kinds of things we as parents tend to promote in our children. You should feel good about that, honey. You did a great job. You studied well, and here's the payoff for you. The problem is that most times what's meaningful about that is that we not only got a great test score but we got a better test score than other people it's the comparison factor that pride sees itself most vividly we'll talk more about that in a little bit we can be prideful in our uh, we can be prideful spiritually or prideful socially so um, i feel I'm superior to some other people because I work with disabled children. And maybe I don't make much money at that, but there's this, you know, I I, I stoop down to serve and and even as I'm stooping, I'm elevating myself above other people who wouldn't stoop to this level. Uh, Maybe I'm prideful in that I was able to buy something with cash that other people can't buy. They have to take out a loan, charge it on their credit card. Um, I take care of my lawn. Now, that's nothing wrong with saying that unless what I'm implying is compared to the rest of my neighbors who haven't mowed in three weeks. Um, I do marriage better than my spouse does. Now, I do very little marriage counseling anymore. That's Pastor Charlie's bailiwick primarily. But when I have, typically, husband comes in, wife comes in, absolutely convinced that they are the better partner, that they're doing this marriage thing better than the person they're married to. And my guess is, even if you're not having big marriage problems, if there are problems in your marriage at all, you think if my wife would simply do X, or if my husband would stop doing Y, we would be just fine because there's no problem on this side of the street. Are you following me and the kinds of things that pride manifests itself in. If you're defensive, somebody gives you a word of correction or points something out where you could grow in, you get defensive instead of hearing it and saying, wow, that could be something that could be, benefit me. You're like, I can't believe you have the gall to, t- to say something like that to me. If you tend to get angry quickly, why is that? What's behind your Fury. It might be, again, that that you can't believe that somebody would treat you a certain way. You can't believe they would talk to you that way. They couldn't believe, believe that you could think about them that way, and you get indignant, you get upset. Your world is not ordered the way it should because, after all, your world, you deserve to have a world that's ordered everything going just right. Impatience. Embarrassment. Why do we get Embarrassed. Because we want to look a certain way to other people. And when something when I don't say something the way I'd like to say it, when 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 I don't appear the way I'd like to have people see me appear, I get embarrassed. The root, the underpinnings of pride. Augustine is right. You scratch any sin deeply enough, and you will eventually get to pride. God's take on pride is uniformly negative. Here's just a couple of verses I pulled out. Uh, psalm 1827, you rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. Those psalm is speaking to, about God. 1 Peter 5, 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. C.J. Mahaney in his wonderful little book, Humility, talks about how God is attracted to humility and repelled by pride. The passage we're going to look at this uh, scripture this morning there's three little vignettes we don't know if they happened back to back they probably didn't but uh, luke is a master strategist when it comes to assembling the material that he assembled in his gospel and all of these three little instances between jesus and his disciples and and the and the disciples kind of falling uh falling down all have to do with this matter of pride and the result of pride. And so we're going to read each one of them and look at them in turn, uh, starting in Luke 9, beginning verse uh, 46. Then Jesus' disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, and so he brought a little child to his side, and then he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, this is a major turn in Jesus' life and ministry. And different scholars call this the beginning of the journey where Jesus is, um, it's not like he's following his GPS now straight path to Jerusalem. But he is now moving from his just his preaching and miracle ministry to I'm now on mission to fulfill my mission outside Jerusalem on that cross. And so this is going to be the next nine chapters or so. So Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He sends messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. If you remember the Samaritans and Jews, they didn't have any truck with each other. The Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They had intermarried with other people groups that had been conquered by the Assyrians as as they had in the northern kingdom. And so they weren't pure-blooded. That was a problem to the pure-blooded Jews in Jerusalem. They didn't worship at Jerusalem like God said they should. They worshiped at the Mount Gerizim in the north. Um, Many of them did not believe in the inspiration of the entire Old Testament, just the first five books, the Pentateuch. Uh, There was a lot of negative, negative history between these two, really for centuries. Um, There was a lot deeper residue of idolatry in the northern kingdom, and so there was bad blood all around between Samaritans and really Jesus' people, the pure Jews of the south. The people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Well, we should pray for them. That's not what they said. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? What a gospel-shaped attitude. Jesus turned and rebuked them. And so they went on to another village. We're going to look at each of these vignettes The first one, we'll spend most of our time on the first and the last. The first one being people are saying, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. If you're old enough to remember Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. So disciples are walking down the road with Jesus. Mark tells us a little more detail. They're on the way to Capernaum. So they arrive at Capernaum, go in a house, take their shoes off, kick uh, kick up up on the sofa table, on the uh, coffee table. And Jesus says, hey, what were you guys talking about on the road back there? And it's interesting, Mark 9, 34, it says they wouldn't answer him. Why? Because they were embarrassed. I mean, think about it. Here, you're walking down the road with the incarnate, never had a beginning, Son of God, who made them and everything else on the planet. And and they're debating about whether or not Peter or James or John or Bartholomew are the greatest. So they knew they were wrong. They knew they were out of line. Jesus knew what they were talking about, and now he gives a little teaching time. But the teaching time was far more surprising to the disciples than that they shouldn't have been discussing who was the greatest because he brings a little child up. Now, a little child in first century Palestine was a nobody. He was, by and large, simply he, she was property. He didn't bring anything really to the family except a future heir. He he or she only took time, only took resources. We have evidence that most Jewish fathers in the first century didn't even think it was worthwhile to teach their sons the Torah until at least 13 years old. And that, of course, said nothing about daughters that they weren't going to train. And so here you have Jesus saying, you see this little child, two, three years old? If if you welcome this child in my name, you welcome me. If you welcome this child in my name, you welcome my father that sent me. The least among you, 12 disciples, the least important among you, Bartholomew, never gets mentioned in the Gospels, right? Except when he got picked. The least among you is the most important. And that could not compute for these 12 men. least matters most the guy that's not standing up on the platform people they matter most The, the the people who who have lower intellects matter most the people who haven't really accomplished anything in life they matter most the people who don't have much money they matter most to which jesus answer is yes there's a reason that the kingdom of Christ is called the upside-down kingdom. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. I don't know if you saw this um, news article the other week, I think it was week, week before last, I think, CBS News, says that Iceland is on pace to eradicate Down syndrome. And Iceland, did you see this? And with apparent, no apparent tongue-in-cheek, it says, Iceland on pace to eradicate Down syndrome through abortion. The least of these, the least among you is the most important. These poor guys were absolutely bewildered didn't make sense to them whether in the culture whether in the synagogue you had people that were prominent and they mattered most and then you had people that weren't prominent and they mattered least and jesus is somehow turning the tables and say what you've believed all along is wrong what you believed all along was wrong see at, at the core of pride is comparison at the core of pride is comparison i put it this way Um, pride lives on the oxygen of comparison good better best good better best pride lives on the oxygen of comparison c.s lewis puts it this way pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next man it is the comparison that makes you proud the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. I, I mean, isn't that true? Isn't that true in your work environment? Isn't that true in school? Isn't that true on your uh, sports teams? Isn't that true in the jobs that you apply for? I got the job over 112 other applicants. Listen, I, 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 will, I still know today, 26 years later, How many people applied for the pastoral position that I got in Michigan? Isn't that pathetic? I can't remember what I preached on last Sunday, but I can remember how many guys I beat out for that job in Michigan. Pride lives on the oxygen of comparison. That's the bad news because we all compare. There's good news in the good news. The good news is the great leveler that we desperately need to attack this root of comparison in our lives. By the way, nobody's exempt from this. If, let's say you're 10, 12 years old here this morning. I guarantee that in your mind there's a pecking order up between you and uh, if you have siblings, other siblings in your family. You know who mom loves best. You know who dad loves best. You know what you need to do or who you need to be in order to get dad to love you best or to get mom to love you best. It's all about comparisons. Some of you will be the worst kid possible for your parents just so they notice you. Some of you will be the best kids possible for your parents because you think that will make them applaud you. All about comparisons. But here's the good news out of the good news. The good news is the great leveler, both with the bad news part of good news and the good news part of good news. Well, here's what I mean the bad news, the gospel tells us the bad news that every one of us is exactly on the same level as everybody else in the eyes of God. Amen? Thanks, Jeff. All of us have sinned and come, what? Short of what? Glory of God. That same chapter, there's none of us that's righteous, not even one. There's none of us that seeks after God. There's, there's none of us that does good, none of us. Now, we, we, we make pecking orders in the sense that we, we know that we're not as, we know we're sinners, but we're not as bad sinners as this person over here. After all, I don't have murder on my record. I don't have adultery on my record. haven't stolen anything since the pen at work. And that was a long time ago, and I'm sure God doesn't remember that. That's stuff we do. That's not stuff God does, right? James 2.10, we go back to this again and again, which puts us in our place. I keep the whole law, and yet I stumble in one point, I have become guilty of the whole thing. In other words, God is an entirely different category. He's over on this side of the fence. No sin, no, hasn't even been tempted to sin, James 1.13 says. Can't be. He's over there, so it's no sin and sinners. Those are the only two categories that God sees. And he doesn't look at me as, oh, well, Keith never committed murder, or he never committed adultery, and so he's a... He's a better sinner than whoever did. It's like, you're just broken, Keith, like everybody else. So there's this, there's, this common, there's this common thread through all of us sinners that puts us at the very same spot. And even in that bad news, it's good news. I don't, the, the fact, there's a f- fact that I'm worse than some other people. I may be better than some of the people as sinners, but I'm also worse than others. And, And that gives me hope. In God's eyes, I'm really not worse than them. No better than any, but no worse either. And then the gospel also tells us that we're made, well, Genesis 1 and 2, that we're made in the image of God. That means every person here, no matter whether you are handsome or wish you were, No matter whether you are beautiful or wish you were. No matter whether you are young or (laughs) wish you were. No matter whether you have hair or wish you did. No matter whether you've got an IQ of 180 or not even sure what IQ means. On and on and all the same. Created in the image of God equally. Equally bearing that image in our being and then when we come to the point of saying i repent of my sin i put my faith in jesus christ to forgive me and to reconcile me with the father now the ground before the cross is absolutely level and we're all brothers and sisters in christ equally there's not brother up here sister up here sister down here brother none of that You are my much-loved children. Not because of what you did, but because of what he did. Let's read that couple verses that we were memorizing together a couple of months ago. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And that last part, when you believed, might lead us to think, oh, okay, we can pat ourselves on the back for our salvation. You can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's what? Masterpiece. Oh, you have been chiseled, finely, exquisitely chiseled by the master. And you're his masterpiece. You're not a poor masterpiece. You're not a great masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. Exactly like the brother or sister that you might be sitting beside this morning or behind or in front of. I am the greatest. No, 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 no. Jesus is the greatest. And because of Jesus... There is no good, better, best. All in the same. You, you know, um, cultures have tried to level things out like this. If you're old enough, you know about communism. Uh, in, in our schools, there's some of this. We want every, everybody to be alike. Listen, nobody will ever uh, be alike or th- think that they're alike without a transformation of the heart through the work of Christ. You cannot impose this on people. This this comes through the regenerating work of of Christ in in a life that understands that I'm really not special. God's special. God's special. All right, let's look at this next little encounter. What happens here? Disciples see somebody casting out demons and they get upset about that. They tell them to stop. You're not part of our 12 disciples. You've got to quit, that. Jesus says, don't stop them. If anybody's not against you, he is for you. Now, this, this is where uh, sometimes our religious, our denominations and our NFL team and our high school um, all have similarities in that we think our, we're the greatest. Now, it's not just individually, I'm the greatest, but we're the greatest, My team's the greatest. Um, I'm a Baptist. The Baptists are greatest. And then we get to NFL season, you know, and everything gets weird there. I I was always intrigued when I go to our kids' uh, games in high school, sports events. And isn't it fascinating that total strangers... Who sit together in the same stands can say things to each other. Total strangers. They never met each other before, and they can say things to each other that are so demeaning and so self-exalting. And you know, even if your team's losing, you say derogatory things at the other fans to pump yourself up. That okay, maybe our team isn't the best, but we are the we're the best. We have the best school, and we have the greatest fans. And what in the world is that? That's rooted in pride. It's no longer individual pride, now it's corporate pride. We, we're, the, we're the greatest. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because for the um, spiritual aspect, as a church, I don't know that we wrestle with that, this as much as some churches might. Uh, we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. It's a relatively small denomination, about 1,500 churches. My guess is that some of you go, are right now going, you're part of a denomination? Thought this was it independent churches well we are kind of technically it's a association of independent churches we don't have get orders from on high that say do this that or the other thing but we're kind of here at Keystone we're kind of a a, we're like a spiritual mutt because you've come either from no church or from Presbyterian church or Baptist church or Methodist church or Mennonite church Amish church so we all have that those historical backgrounds that we don't think of ourselves as you know We're evangelical, free church people, and we're special. We don't have that, maybe the loyalty to the local church. But what Jesus wants of his followers is for us to see fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not special because we're tied to a particular group. Now, I do want to say, I don't think this in any way, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't be discerning and we look at the landscape of the church of Jesus Christ in the world today, we got to say, whoa, Nellie. Sorry, not you, Nelly. <laughs> we need to get back to the Word of God. What does God teach? What's the Word of God say? And, and we need to be discerning about that. But brothers and sisters in Christ that share, share our convictions from the Scripture on the central things, we can di- disagree about the side issues, we, we link arms together no matter what denomination they are, no matter what group they're part of. Now, the disciples were debating who's the greatest disciple. Now there's this thought that we're the greatest as Jesus' 12 disciples. Now the next vignette, a couple of these guys are looking at the Samaritans and saying, these people are the worst. The title of this message is Pride and Prejudice, because prejudice, listen, prejudice always, no matter what kind of prejudice it is, always flows out of pride. Let me say that again. Prejudice, no matter what kind it is, always flows out of pride. Always. So here's these disciples, they've got a didn't get welcomed by the Samaritans. And their, their solution to that is, we're going to kill these people. N- now, now, there's a lot of, we're going to touch on what's going on in our culture right now. There's a lot of division in American society right now. Ugly, ugly division. And the word hate is being thrown around everywhere you look. I think that's a mistake first of all it it shuts down conversation um i have i have a series of sermons that's going to surface one of these days on learning to talk with people that we don't agree with we have got to rediscover that ability friends we have got to discover that rediscover that ability for us as christians especially how do we talk to people who don't know christ if we can't talk with people on a congenial level, who don't agree with us. I think the problem, so, so hate is anybody that doesn't agree with me. They're a hater. And, and this is, in our public conversation, hate, 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 hate everywhere. I don't think James and John hated the Samaritans. But I think they thought they were better than the Samaritans. Just like the ISIS butchers think that they're better than the infidels and they need to eradicate the infidels who don't convert to Islam. I'm not convinced that they hate these people. I think they're they're following what they believe Allah wants them to do. It's rooted in pride. We know we have the right way. There's arrogance there and we're going to put an end to you. Not hate. It might sound like a semantic thing, but I think, I think it's important because I, if you were to tell me that I hated you, I would, I would object vociferously. I don't know that I hate anybody. And so I could just blow that off, but if, if you try, try to help me see that I'm prideful and that pride is leading me to have a, an attitude of ungodliness and uh, uh, that's not godly and not loving to somebody else, that I, I need to listen to that. And I think that's what was going on here, that, that there was prejudice coming out of the pride. And did you see what Jesus did? He didn't just laugh and say, eh, knock it off. He rebuked them. And listen, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I need to be bold in rebuking this kind of prejudice no matter what its target is. Uh, The events that took place last week in Charlottesville, Virginia and if we sat down, had little cluster groups and broke up, say, well, what, what did we think about this? What did we think about how the police manage it? What do we think about the protesters and counter-protesters? What do we think about Confederate memorials and so forth? We could have a thousand different opinions. Well, let's get back to a nub of those events. And and even though it may not have started out as we, we had a group of people that think they are better than some other people there's a reason we talk about supremacy superiority all what is that what's that five letter word in the scriptures it's pride it's pride and it produces prejudice and listen if we're brothers and sisters in Christ we need to call that what it is sin and not Put a little conjunction after that that begins with but. As Tim Keller said, we need to put a period right after that and say, this is is sin. It's an abomination to God. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I will will not be part of it and I will call it out every time. Listen, are you and I willing to call out things that we see both in the church and in the culture, sin, call them sin? Because when we're silent... That's a message, too. That's a message, too. Let me take you to Philippians chapter uh, 2, and then I'm going to give a couple of practical suggestions for battling pride the rest of our lives. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1 and Paul speaking here to the church is there uh, about the church is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ any comfort from his love any fellowship together in the spirit are your hearts tender and compassion then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose now if we just read that portion there we can say I- i'm ready to say amen to that that all sounds noble, that all sounds good, now he starts to deal with the underbelly of why those things are often so difficult in the church. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, this is all about pride. Be humble, thinking of others as almost as good as myself. Is that what it says? I ran into a buzzsaw one time when I was teaching a Sunday school class on this passage. A guy cornered me after class and said, because I read it, don't look out only for, um, but consider others better than yourselves. He said, that's not what that says. I mean, I read it again. I'm like, I think it does. That's not what it says. It does. It really, it, why, why do you have a problem with it? Because that's not our instinct is to raise other people above ourselves. It's to raise ourselves above, above others. Thinking of others as better than yourself, Keith. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others, too. Uh. Let's go on. I had a thought I don't want to share. Verse 5 links this to the gospel. This, I love other people to such an extent that I put them above me, is now linked to the gospel. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, Christ Jesus loved you more than himself by being willing to go to the cross. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and pride is all about giving up stuff. He gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. When I say pride is all about giving up stuff, I mean the solution to pride is about giving up stuff. G- giving up, desiring to be the center of attention. Giving up, having to have people pat me on the back all the time. Giving up, having to um, have the front position, the get the trophy. I, you know, I'm, I play... My best, but I don't have to have the trophy. I I take my test and I do my academic work to do the best job I can, but I'm I'm not competing to see that I can outstrip somebody else. All right, I have four practical suggestions for dealing with pride. Let me just say this: you're not going to win the battle with pride. You're not going to win the war with pride, but you can win many battles. You're going to battle pride the rest of your life. The only way you lose that war is if you don't wage it. Okay. Remedy for pride. First of all, pray for inward eyes. Pray for inward eyes. Ben Franklin said, three things are extremely hard. steal a diamond, and to know oneself. That's what I mean by pray for inward eyes, know myself. Uh, the older i've gotten the more i see my pride it's uglier and uglier but it shows itself more readily part of that i hope is that i have been praying now for about 33 years for god to reveal pride to me Uh, john piper stepped down from his pastorate in 2010 for eight months because he said i have Discovered numerous species of pride in my life, especially with my relationship to my wife, my relationship to my family, and I want to work on that. And when he came back from that uh, leave, he, gave, he, he said this in a report that he gave to his elders. He said, I would label my decades-long besetting and I hope weakening sins in this relationship as selfishness, self-pity, anger, blaming, And sullenness, all species of pride. There are others, but these are close to the root of our troubles. I put my gun sights on these with increasing focus as the leave went on, and I just my admiration for John grew over that time. That he would, first of all, be willing to assess that, and then second of all, think that it's serious enough issue that he needs to take time away from ministry to tackle it in a concentrated way. So first, pray for inward eyes. Listen, if you're really bold and brazen, if you're married, ask your spouse to identify pride areas in in your life. And then you can call in for counseling. Um. (laughs) Secondly, recognize that anything you have to be proud of, God gave you. So whether that's your business skill your appearance, your intellect, the fact that you have a couple degrees behind your name, um, you name it. 1 Corinthians 4, middle of verse 7, what do you have that God did not give you? What do you have that God did not give you? So pray for inward eyes, recognize anything you have to be proud of, you receive, third, repent. That's always what we need to do when we discover sin in our lives, repent, and then third, receive God's grace and share it with others. What I mean by that is the grace of his forgiveness, the grace of his di- helping us discover pride, and then to be able to share that grace with others. In other words, uh, it's far more easy for me to identify and discover um, pride in your life than it is in mine. And so, instead of me identifying pride in your life, I want to be able to share the grace that God is giving me, showing me with you as well, Um, both by what I say and what I don't say. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes back. Father, um, (laughs) nobody needs more help in this area than I do. Nobody, nobody has more ugly facets of pride in their lives here that I do. And so I, I pray that you would continue to give me the weaponry that I need to battle it in my own life and the humility not to look for it in other people's lives as well. That together we can wage the good fight against it until Jesus comes back. And that on the one hand, we'd never be... Becoming discouraged by the um, well by the headway we don't make against it, and on the other hand, never settling for the little headway we're making against it. So we 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 plead for measures and measures of your good grace, uh, that all of us might be, first of all, putting others, thinking of others as better than ourselves. Instead of the, the reverse, um, that the, the pride that remains, that we would chop off the ugly head of prejudice in our, in our lives, um, no matter whether it's someone um, who's younger than us. You know, us old folks look down and, man, they sure have a lot of things to learn yet. Or it's someone who's a, um, an immigrant, or it's someone of a different race. Or it's somebody that makes more money than we do. Or it's someone who has a lot of baggage in their past. And we hold that over them and say, you know, they'll never change. That's, That's just who they are. God, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us for our pride. And go at it with tooth and nail for your glory, our good and the good of the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.